are listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. My name is Bill Morrill, and I serve in a couple places. I help with the offerings, and help with the banner flags out front, and I attend our Sunday school before church. Today I'll be reading 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 to 21. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, And the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. To which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy has ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What is the source of your truth? I say that with hesitation because saying the words, your truth, sets me up for a world of error if I don't make you aware that there aren't multiple truths. There's only one truth. But I just wonder where you get your truth from. What is the source of the things that you hold to be true and right? Those things that will dictate the direction of your life, how you live yours, how you expect others to live as well, or at least how you hope that others will live. You see, Peter, writing this letter, in the very first few verses, tells us why he's writing the things that he's writing. He tells us in these first few verses, 12 through 15, that, listen, my hour is at hand. My my time when I'm going to put off this body is like ever 
present. It's right here. And I find it interesting that he even refers to it as putting off the tent, putting off the body, as though, as though he, once he is uh, uh, brought to an end of his physical life, is going to continue on living. Did he actually believe that? Of course he did. Why? Because that's what Jesus promised us. That we would continue on eternally and that ultimately, like he was raised, so too would we. But Peter says, my, my time is right at hand. I can just, I can almost see it coming. And maybe he could literally see it coming. And, and one of the things that he wants to make sure that, that he nails down for these believers living probably in the region of Asia Minor, where he wrote his first letter to, Probably those are the ones that he's thinking, I've got to make sure that you understand and remember some things. And one of the most important things you'll remember is the source of truth. So So that you can be grounded in truth no matter what comes at you in this life through circumstance or situation. But that you'll be grounded. Today, what we want to be able to do as followers of Jesus is just... Be reminded of the source of truth so that we too will be grounded. Now, I know what you're doing right now. If you've, if you've been a part of the church for any length of time, you're saying in your mind, he's going to preach about the Bible. I've heard this. I get this. What's being tweeted? Let's check it out. But listen, Peter in his writing made it very clear It's important that I remind you of these things. Teachers, how many teachers we got in the room? Anybody's teacher in the room? Very good. Will will it be fair to say that the main key in teaching effectively is not necessarily curriculum? That's not necessarily the main key. I mean, you you could take a bad curriculum and and change it and tweak it and and make it better teach. You can even take good curriculum if you're not careful. You can dumb it down and make it bad. The key to teaching and effective learning, teachers tell me if I'm wrong, is repetition. Repetition, 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 repetition. You got it? We say things over and over and over. We tell them things over and over. Now, some things we repeat over and over, they never seem to get. Like, sit down and be quiet. Don't touch her. Leave them alone. Keep your eyes on your own paper. They seem, even though we repeat, they don't seem to get that. But if you want someone to learn something, you repeat it over and 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 over again, which is why... Most of you in here know that when we take the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, where Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and, 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 and teach them everything I've commanded you, and get this, I'm going to be with you all the way to the end of the age. That's a lot to say, but Oasis Church, we boil it down to two words. The things that Jesus has called us to do are, say, I even have to tell you what they are. Why? Because we say it over And over and over and over that God has, through Christ, called us to reach and teach. And everything we do needs to be funneled or focused in one of those two directions. As Peter talks about being grounded in truth, it's it's a little segue... That he's, that he's going into, he's, he's leaving this first line of thought, and that is, I want to remind you of who you are. 
And, and, and if you're following in your, uh, in your notes on the Oasis Church app, then you're going to find all kinds of typos in there today. I just happened as I did like a final read through, I'm going, yeah, these people are going to think I don't know how to spell and I don't know grammar. And you know that I'm not the most poster child of the English language, but I do know better than what you're going to read. If you don't have the Oasis Church app and you're like, how do you, I get that? Grab you one of those pages on that wall outside the door. It's got a QR code or just scan the one on the board and it'll take you right to it. You can download it, be on the same page with us as a ministry. What we're going to learn today through Peter is that we're, we're moving from his desperate call of, look, 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 my time's almost gone, and you guys need to remember who you are and that God has provided everything you need for life and godliness. The key is putting it to work. The key is looking at what God has given you and opening the box and, and putting it to work. If you'll put it to work, then you're going to avoid major failure. You're going to avoid all of those things that come with what we, we say probably involves doubt and those times of, of deep wonder if I'm, I'm really loved by God. Man, if you're putting the things that he's given you to work, you're going to be in touch with him. You're going to be in tune, in step with him, and you're going to avoid all kinds of major slip-ups if you'll just make every effort to put to practice what he's given you. And I want a response. Are you a follower of Jesus today? Amen. Okay, if you're a follower of Jesus, then he wants you to be faithful and effective. And he's given you all the tools in order to be faithful and effective. We just have to put them to practice. If you are still a little confused about that, then I want to encourage you back to the first 11 verses of first, uh, 2 Peter chapter number 1. But now he's going to turn and he's going to say... That there is a need for us to be grounded in, in a source of truth. And the first aspect that he talks about is this idea of repetition. 90% approximately, this is a study, I don't know how, I don't know, I don't know how to have absolutely pinpoint accurate this is, but the study says 90% of what we hear, we forget within an hour's of hearing it. Now, I, I, would, I would put that to test by saying, what did we talk about last Sunday? But I've already told you what we talked about last Sunday, so that's going to make for a bad service. But, but you understand how that you can have conversations with someone, and, and, and you be dialed in, and, and then you get in the car, and about a half a mile down the road, you're like, what did we decide? Are, are we... Are we eating it at 11.30 or, or did we push it to a week? Because you know, we, we forget those things that we hear because we've just got so many different things and, and our brains are just, you know, they're barely hanging on to all we're putting them through. And 90%. So Peter is, he's repeating and saying, don't be offended by repetition. We need it. We need it. We need it. We need reminding. We need reminding. Uh, I, I needed reminding. And I believe it was the seventh year, honey, that I forgot our wedding. And it wasn't. It was, I don't remember what year it was. But I forgot. Listen, that, that was a reminder. I remember now when our anniversary is. That, I don't think has happened since then, you know, because that was a traumatic situation. You know, PTSD on that one. But for the most part, we need that repetition. For a while, Kate had to tell me when his birthday was because of the way the numbers are, you know, sevens and sixes, and I always got them mixed up. But I needed repetition so we can remember. 
I still don't know my other family's birthdays. Thank you to my sister who always sends me texts and keeps me out of trouble. We need repetition. Peter's goal was to repeat and remind believers of who they are, the dangers they were going to face and were already facing, and to remind them of the glory to which they needed to continue to press on. See, this is very familiar territory, this idea of repetition. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, uh, verse number 1, he says, it's, it's not a bad thing that, I, that I'm repeating these things over and over. Don't get discouraged by that. It's good for you. Even if you think about Deuteronomy, uh, back in chapter number 6, verses 6 through 9, Moses is talking about, look, these things that I'm saying to you, I'm reminding you of these things because you're going to need them. On the other side of the river, when we get over into the promised land, you're going to need to remember these truths. And you've got to take these truths and teach them to your children. And the way you're going to do that, you're going to teach them in the morning. You're going to teach them on the way to school. You're going to teach them on the way home from school. You're going to teach them when they lie down, when they get up, when you're on the road, when you're on vacation. You're going to teach them over and over and over again because repetition is what causes it to remain. So don't be bothered by the fact that, yes, we're going to be talking about God's Word today. Don't be bothered by that. It's a good thing. We need to be reminded that God's Word is the source of truth. Because in our society right now, you're being told, number one, that truth does not exist. And you're also being called to believe things that you know good and well are contrary to God's design and His written Word. And if you're going to stand against this onslaught of our minds and hearts, you've got to have yourself rooted and grounded in God's Word. I think it was Paul the Apostle that talked about those feet shod with the gospel truth so that we can stand against the onslaught of the enemy. Peter says, as long as I've got breath in my lungs, as long as I've got ink in a quill, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put every effort toward telling you and reminding you those things that were told and taught to me. That's what I've been called to do. Jesus looked at me and said, feed my sheep, and I'm going to do that until I have no hands, I have no breath, no mouth to speak. I'm going to continue to tell you the things you need to know because we need repetition. But then he gets into verse number 16 and begins to tell the truth about the truth. Now, these false teachers that Peter's going to highlight when we get to chapter 2, I believe are what's fueling most of what he's saying in these verses right here. We see in Paul's writings that, that Paul is consistently arguing against false teachers who are accusing him of doing what he does just to gather an audience and to gain popularity. Well, Peter, being one of the twelve that walked with Jesus, no doubt was being accused of the very same things. That seems to be why he responds the way he does here in verse number 16, where he says... For we, and, and I think he's referring to himself, other apostles, others who were with Jesus, others who were proclaiming this message. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus. We weren't, we weren't giving out information that's been made up. 
This is not make-believe. I, I know what these folks that are coming into town, they're following us with, a, with an alternate message after we've come in and we've told you about Jesus who was crucified and then was buried and came out of the grave alive and was with us for 40 days and then ascended back up into glory and said, go tell everybody else what you've learned about and seen of me. I know there are folks that are coming behind me that are saying, oh yeah, Peter and John and Jack, all the, those guys, yeah, they're just they're peddling to you their version of this new religion, hoping that you will give them money and, 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 and be entertained by them so that you'll put them up and provide for their needs, and that's all they're doing. Peter says, we're not telling myths. We know about the myths. We know all about the gods of the Egyptians. We know about the gods of the Greeks and the Romans that, that are the same but have different names depending on what, what country or, or, or nation you were raised in. Oh, we know all about that. And believe you me, this that we're telling is not of any type of myth or mythical origin. No, no. What we're telling you, he says, in verse number 16, we were eyewitnesses of. We saw him with our own eyes. We felt him with our own arms, our own hands. We, we held him. We, we saw him. We watched as he broke bread for thousands. We watched as he strolled on water. By the way, did I tell you, I walked on the water, he would say. We heard him speak and people get up who had been lame for over 30 years and walk. We heard him preach and teach things that we didn't even understand and had to ask him to explain it to us. We watched him as he was crucified. And I have every reason to believe that the apostle Peter while it pained him to say it, was very willing to own the fact that I watched him in trial. And then when asked if I knew him, I denied him. Bold out in the open said I'd never even heard of him. And, 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 I, and I called down God's curses if I was lying, and I was lying. And I watched from a distance as they put him on a cross. I heard him say things that I couldn't imagine on that cross as people were laughing at him and making fun of him. And I watched him die there. It was dark. It was amazing. I was scared to death. I thought I had ruined everything. But then I heard that he was risen. And I ran all the way to the tomb. That doggone John just thought it was funny. He could run faster than me. And he got there before I did and looked and said, he's not in there. And then I saw for myself he wasn't in there. And then I saw him on the seashore. And guys, look, I, I was so excited. I was so thrilled. I just jumped into the water and swam to him. And I was so excited to be reunited. But he wouldn't do anything until he sat me down and gave me an opportunity to recommit my love for him. You see, guys, I saw him. I heard him. I watched him. I was in a room when he wasn't there and then turned around and there he was all of the sudden. I watched him eat after his resurrections. I saw his hands and his feet and I watched as he didn't hobble going up and down the road. I saw him ascend from the ground up into glory. And as I'm trying to see as far as I can see two People were standing beside me in shiny clothes telling me just like he went up, he's coming back. Y'all, I don't know what else to tell you. They can call it myths if they want to. I saw what I saw and so did those others. The things we're telling you, we know about 
because we saw them with our own eyes. Now, you say, well, a lot of people say they see a lot of things. A lot of people say that they've witnessed stuff that they hadn't witnessed. Well, early church history, and, and I know that it's, it's not as defendable as the documents of Scripture. We know that, that, that those early, you know, when there's, when there's little writings about it, it's, it's a challenge to defend. But, but it's pretty widespread in the early church that all of those fellas, with the exception of one whose name was John, were put to death in some pretty gruesome fash, uh, uh, ways. You know why? Because they would not deny what they had seen and heard of Jesus. So Peter says, look, the truth that you are grounding your faith on is solid. Because I saw it, I heard it, and all I'm doing is telling you the things that I've seen and heard from him. I'm doing what he told me to do on the side of that hill as he ascended up into glory. I saw it, I heard it, and now I'm doing it. It's reliable. It's not myth. It's not made up. However, and he gives an example of, of seeing Jesus glorified on the Mount of Transfiguration, verses 17 and, and, and 18. We heard a voice from heaven, uh, and, and he said, this is my beloved son. He says, and, verse number 19, and... We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. He says, you can count on the things we saw. We were eyewitnesses. We're going to stand by them. We're going to die for it. And, and I think they were, none of them wanted to die, but all of them were very willing to do so. And they did. Because of what they've seen, the, the things we have written are about what they saw and heard. But Peter said, but not only that, if, if you're going to have a hard time believing what we're saying, well, just take a look at the scriptures that you already believe. And now, what were Peter talking about? Well, primarily, he was talking about the Old Testament. When he refers to the prophets, he's not just talking about Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, Ezekiel. He's not just referring to them because they would use the idea of the prophets to refer to all of the Old Testament, specifically because of what those guys were prophesying about Messiah to come. Peter says, if you're having a hard time with, with what I've seen and heard, well, well let me just point to you the, the things about Jesus and what was already said that you believe already. They were already written. Because what we do know for a fact is that this one Jesus from Nazareth was everything those guys said he was going to be. He did everything those guys said he was going to do. And if he's not yet done it, well, that means it's not yet time. Peter says, I, I want to refer you back to, look, they're saying what we're talking about is myth and legend, mythical and made up. I'm telling you what we saw is true. And what we saw and heard is backed by the validity of the Old Testament. And he says, the written scripture will serve for you as a lamp in a dark place 
I think about what the psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 105, when he says, Your word is, say it with me, a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Peter says, you'd do well to see Jesus through the lens of the Old Testament. It will be a a tremendous light for you, a tremendous directional beacon as you walk in this dark and murky world. That, That word, in a dark place, he's talking about the world in which we live in. That word dark has the idea of murky. I think that's a fair description of the world we live in right now. It's always been just murky. You know, if you're, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, then you, you know that whole area where the orcs are from and everything's dead and, and dreary. That's, that's kind of the place in which we're living. I'm reading right now to my wife's children about uh, 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 Little Pilgrim's Progress. And, you know, Little Pilgrim's Rabbit, and he's looking for the celestial city. Why is he trying to get out of the city that he's living in? Because the city he's living in is called destruction. And it's not the place that you want to be. So we got to get out of destruction. We got to get to the celestial city. Pretty good little idea. And uh, I think Jesus is the way. That little rabbit's going to find out about the king. But at any rate, we find that, that Peter's saying, look, look to the written scriptures. Now, what he's going to do a little later on in our letter in chapter number three, be a few weeks before we get there, But what Peter's going to do is he's going to lump the writings of Paul that's happening in in his time. He's going to lump those writings over into those things that are already called scriptures. He's going to start calling what Paul is writing scripture in the same way that he's referring to the Old Testament Scripture, and I think Peter has in mind very likely of those things that even his partner in apostleship, Matthew, is writing. He knows good and well that he has sat down most likely with Mark, John Mark, and has dictated the the message of of Mark's gospel, and, and he's heard that the physician Luke is going around gathering information. Maybe Peter's already talked to him about the things, and so he knows that things are being written that are being handled by God. And Peter says, you do well to pay attention. If you can't listen to the things that I say to you, then know this, and know this for sure. That those things that are written are solid. Those things that are written are places to be grounded. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Until what day is that? Who's the morning star? Our Lord. Until the day that Jesus returns and turns the light on in this murky world in which we're living in and brings to completion all that he began all the way back into the garden when he told the first two that sinned that there's going to be a a, a completion, there's going to be a restoration, and it's going to look like a heel strike and a head stomp, and it's going to end up in bringing what sin has messed up back into God's idea from the beginning. Peter says, when that time comes, you won't need a beacon of light because you will have the light that gives life 
as the Apostle John said in the first chapter of his gospel. But until then, you got to have something that's going to light your way. Anybody like to use the, the flashlight feature on their cell phone? Isn't that awesome? Like, can you remember back before cell phones when you were always finding yourself in the dark? And you never, you're like, where's my flashlight? And you look for it and there wouldn't be any batteries in it. Or batteries would be dead. You remember, you remember how, how just frustrating that was way back then? Not anymore. Man, just pull that thing out of your pocket, light up the world, right? Not even need lighters anymore at the concert. And they play Freebird. You can just throw it right up there. That was unnecessary. I get it. Okay. Peter says, you got to ground yourself in truth. You got to be locked in in what is solid and certain. And it's the scripture. Verse number 20. Now he's going to tell us about the nature of scripture. He's going to say, knowing this, first off, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And what Peter's going to do in these two verses is provide one of the most important truths about what we call the Bible. This is going to be a doctrinal, like, granite field right here. These two verses. You say, well, what, what is it he's doing? Well, he's, he's bringing information to the New Testament world about what's been happening all along. Let me draw your attention to some verses in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 and 11. The prophet says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be, talking about God, this is speaking for God, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. Those of you who grew up with the King James know it doesn't return void. Doesn't come back empty. What does it do? It shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Just as rains come down and water, it don't, the, the rains don't go back up into heaven, but they do what they came on the earth to do, to water the ground, to, to nourish the seed, to bring forth the, the, the fruit in order to make the bread. So shall my word do everything it was intended to do. Psalm 119, verse 89, the psalmist says, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed. In the heavens, that means it, nothing, nothing affects the Word of God in the heavenlies. Proverbs 35 is one we learned through repetition at camp when my wife and I were counselors. Proverbs 35 says, every Word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take their refuge in Him. God's Word is true. You can throw that thing up and it will be a refuge in time of trial and difficult and war. Now we move over into Matthew. Now these aren't the prophets writing. This is the Lord speaking. When he says in Matthew 5, 18, For truly I say to you, Jesus said, until heaven and earth pass away, 
not an iota, not a dot. Again, King James folks know that that's a jot and a, a tittle. An iota or a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Well, well good, Jesus. You know your Old Testament. Aha! Matthew 24, 35, Jesus says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. See, he knew that the prophetic words of God would remain fixed forever. But then he brought that same authority to the very things he himself was saying. Hebrews 12, uh, uh, 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's not just an ancient book. It's not just a, a book of old stories. No, it's a living document that not only will light our way through life, but it'll cut us deep where we need to be redeemed and changed and challenged like a surgeon's scalpel in order to remove what doesn't need to be there so that health can be restored to our life as we follow our Lord. 2 Timothy chapter 3.16, Paul tells Timothy, again, at the end of his life, he says all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The Word of God written is a forever revelation. Set in something greater than stone, it's set in the heavenly dwellings where God is forever unchanging. The Word of God is the solid ground of truth by which every other truth must pass in order to maintain its truthfulness. Let me explain what we mean by that. God's Word is the truth, but it does not contain all the true things that are true in our world. I would argue that gravity is a truth in our world in our existence on this planet. If you throw up something, it will come down because of gravity. But what I'm going to say is, is that gravity must filter through Scripture in order to maintain its truthfulness. You say, well, what does that mean? That means gravity does filter through God's Word, except when God the Son decides to defy it as he's walking on that substance that does not hold up weight. On water. Well, well, then God's Word is not true. No, no, no. God's Word is true. So is gravity. God just supersedes gravity, and he's told us over and over and over again that he does, and then he proved it. So even though 2 plus 2 equaling 4 is not in there, it's got to filter through. And anything that can't filter through God's Word at the principal level must be discarded. If it's presented as true and it does not filter at the principal level, then it has to be discarded. That's what Peter and Paul are talking about. Then Peter describes the process. He says in verse 20, 
No prophecy of Scripture came about through the origin of man. I know it says interpretation. That word interpretation is only used in verse 20 of 2 Peter chapter 1. That word interpretation is only used there in the Scripture. In a technical sense, it does mean like we understand interpretation. But, but look what he says in verse number 21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. So it seems as though what Peter's talking about is the source of truth. Even though it was written by a bunch of dudes across a, a several centuries, it was not sourced in those bunch of dudes. It was sourced in God. It didn't come from them. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I think it would be incorrect to think about how we got the Bible as Peter sitting at a table and God speaking to Peter. Now write this. And now write this. Now certainly sometimes God spoke and the prophets wrote. Other times artists said things about God that came out in songs and psalms that we now have as part of our scripture. And you say, well, well, well did, did God make David write the things that he wrote? Not exactly. But God certainly used David in order to cause what he wanted written to be written. That idea of being carried along. Peter says, Scripture is God's word written and is sourced in God, not man. Peter says God used human authors and human styles in order to produce his divine special revelation. Listen, church, can I just repeat, 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 and that is if you are going to navigate the world in which we live, you and I are going to have to do so through the lens of God's Word, or we will not be successful, we will not be faithful or effective because God's Word is the light in this murky world in which we live. God's Word and God's Word alone and anything that is being presented to us I don't care how politically correct it is. I don't care what line you have to stay on the other side of. You stand on what God's Word says and let Him worry about all the fallout. Because His Word is truth. And it doesn't matter if we get laughed at about it. It doesn't matter if we get made fun of about it. It doesn't matter if we lose job opportunities for it. It doesn't matter if families deny us or if we lose friends over it. God's Word is true. And God's Word leads to faithfulness and effectiveness as followers of Jesus. And God's Word is the only thing that can lead to salvation for the one who has not yet heard and trusted. God's Word is truth. Now, when Peter gets done here, he's going to jump into chapter number two, talking about false teachers. Because false teachers will deny the things that Peter has, has uh, brought forth about Scripture. They're going to deny those truths. They always do. 
So before we get to the false teachers, what they look like, what they're teaching, and, and, and how they're trying to deceive, let's understand how we as a local church in 2022 take these truths about God's Word and package it so that we can remember and remember and remind and repeat over and over again. We do so by what we called doctrinal essentials. The number one doctrinal essential at Oasis Church is this. The Bible alone is authoritative. It is inspired and inerrant in the original documents. Let's just do an exercise. Let's just read that together out loud what's printed in white. If you can see it, because I know that some of you sit far back enough where you can't see it. It says, the Bible alone is authoritative. It is inspired and inerrant in the original documents. We get that essential. And we're saying that not only is that a church essential, but we maintain that that is a Christian essential. Meaning that if someone says to me, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, awesome. Over time, we'll be talking, and one of the things I'm going to want to find out is their opinion on the Bible. And if they say that, well, I believe the Bible contains truth, but I don't believe that the Bible is truth. Well, then I'm taking a mental step back in my fellowship, not in my relationship, but in my fellowship, I'm taking a step back because I know that the authority, the inspiration, the inerrancy of Scripture is a Christian essential. Well, what in the world does that mean? Well, we've got some slides for you because I want you to be able to see it in the eye gate. I want you to be able to think about this. So if the Bible alone is authoritative, inspired, and errant in the original documents, what's that mean? Well, let's talk about inspiration first. Inspiration is what we're defining as the supernatural process by which God influenced the biblical writers to record the words of Scripture, thereby rendering it God's Word. We're going to hold that right there. Peter said that Scripture, prophecy, the things that, that God has revealed and has been written on His behalf were caused by Him as human writers were guided along by the Holy Spirit. We call inspiration the guiding of the Holy Spirit that caused those writers to write exactly what he wanted written. Now, in our society, our, our context, we hear inspiration as, I was just inspired, you know, I just had a moment, I just wanted to, I just needed to get some things out. Oh, it's just such an inspiring time, and that's how we use it. That's not what's happening in the inspiration of Scripture. Now, the author might have thought himself having an inspirational experience. I just want to praise the Lord. I just want to write down some things that I believe are, are just so helpful about who God is. And many times, likely unbeknownst to them, God was going, yep, I'm, I'm behind that. As he guided them along to do what? Write exactly what he wanted for you and for me. That's what we mean by inspiration. Now, when we talk about inspiration, we talk about it in a couple of different ways, and you might hear it. You might hear someone say, well, as a Christian, I believe in the verbal plenary 
inspiration of Scripture. Well, what in the world does that mean? Well, let's talk about it. What does it mean to be verbally inspired? Well, verbal inspiration we've got for you right there means that all the words, the word forms, the combination of words, and the wording of the Bible are God's divine intention for Scripture. It means the words are important. It means the, the text that was written is important. Now, think about what we said just a second ago. We believe this is true about the original documents. Anybody holding a Bible in their lap? Hold it up. Or, or, or it's on your device. There you go. I see it, Stephen. It's there. It's, it's on there, the, out there in the digital world. These are not the original documents. That's, that's fair, right? If they were the original documents, how would we all have one? Well, it's simple. We have what? Copies. But it's not just copies. It's copies of 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 copies. Right? On and on and on and on and on. Why is it that yours reads different than mine reads sometimes? Well, because not only is it a copy of a copy of a copy, but it's a copy into our language from an ancient language. And some of the things that are said in that ancient language, we don't know how to translate that because no one's still alive that was saying those things and we're doing the best we can. So we've got copies of copies of copies of copies of copies. Well, then how can I trust that thing then? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because statistically speaking, over 99%, it's 99 point mm -mm, something, I can't remember what the mm -mm is. So, over 99% of the text of Scripture that is being used to make the translations is accurate, dated back to 200 years after the time they were written. You go, 200, a lot can happen in 200 years. You know about the American story, lots happened in our life. But when it comes to how, how, how accurate it is across the centuries, and you get it back to that point, that makes the scripture that you've got in your lap or resident on your device, the literary phenomenon of all of human history. And, and here's the thing. Help yourself to deny that or prove it wrong. Flip on the History Channel, you'll hear them saying it. You know, well, it's a bunch of fable, blah, blah. What they're not doing is being honest about what the Scripture really is. And the actual ancient documents that we have, that can be dated and that can be traced through the same methods they're using in every other literary thing that they're working on. They just don't want to apply it to the Scripture. You know why? Because the more honest we are about this right here makes the hook a whole lot bigger that we find ourselves on to what this says. You see, if we're honest about this book and, and the documents that make up this book, then... Okay, that's, that's going to mean I'm a whole lot more responsible than I want to be. And that makes it real easy why we deny it. But at any rate, I digress. Verbal inspiration means that God meant the words that were written originally would be written. But what is this plenary thing? I don't even understand what plenary is. Plenary inspiration. The word plenary just means like it's everyone. It's, it's, it's everything. And that means that inspiration is equally distributed or extends equally to all parts of the Bible. 
So the idea of verbal plenary inspiration means we believe that God intended Scripture to be written the way it was. The words of the Scripture being written the way God intended it to be. And inspiration extends to all parts of the Bible in the same way. It doesn't mean that Moses' writings are more inspired than, than Ezekiel's writing. It all extends across the board. So the Bible alone is authoritative. It's inspired. You get it? You say, not so much. Well, that's why you'll hear about this more and more and more and more. It's also inerrant. Inerrancy just literally means without error. We believe inerrancy is the doctrine that the Bible in its original manuscripts was free from error and or contradiction. It means the Bible teaches no error. It means the Bible does not contradict itself, even though it was written over many, many, many hundreds of years, over several different authors. So the Bible alone is authoritative. It's inspired. God intended it. It's inerrant. It teaches truth in every direction and won't contradict itself. Well, what does this idea of authority mean? It means that it's the doctrine of the Bible that it is actually God's Word, and it is the only source in this day for divine revelation. It's our way of saying that Scripture is truth in a way that the Morning Joe program never will be in your life. Or whatever source, be it the stars and their configurations, those stars are never going to tell you the truth. God's Word, well, it'll tell you the truth about where the stars are. I don't mean the stars are lying to you. They're where they are. But that's not ever going to tell you how to live your life. I don't care what sign you got or what stuff you think or what you've read online. Listen to me. Truth is only found in God's Word. All other statements of truth have to come through Scripture in order to maintain their truthfulness. There are no other truths. Your feelings, the bird that landed on the fence that shouldn't be in Florida at this time of year is not carrying a truth for you. Except the fact that that bird is lost. It wonders where it's at because he knows it's not where it's supposed to be. It's just resting on that fence because it's confused. It doesn't hold truth. You know what holds truth? God's Word. I, I, I hit all green lights on Cypress Gardens Boulevard. So that means that God is for me today. No, it doesn't. It means that you should have probably signed up for the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes. Nah, I'm just kidding. It means that you got down Cypress Gardens Boulevard better than anybody else in the history of Winter Haven has. God is on your side because God has said so. And everything else is just circumstance in this world. Does that make sense? You say, well, you, sound, you sound like you're mad about it. I'm not mad about it. I just want you to know for a fact, you have truth. Now... You can't navigate this world successfully apart from God's Word. So I want to ask you three questions. Number one, 
What other things are you currently holding on to right now to be a source of truth in your life? What things are you currently looking to, going to find out? What, 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 what things are you currently looking at to provide you with truth in the same regard that you do Scripture? And, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to find some time this week, today preferably, where you can get alone with God and you can say, God, I want to confess the sin of my looking to anything other than you because you are the source of truth and I know your word is the light that will guide me until the morning star, my Savior, my King returns. Until then, I'm looking to your word and I'm counting on the Spirit of God within me to help me understand that word. So I want to encourage you, look at your life, root out everything that's not God's Word, and cast it aside as a source of truth. Number two, how important is God's Word to you based on the amount of time you spend in it every week? And that's where we all go, um, could you be good time? I'm, I'm ready to go home. You know why? Because don't, none of us spend the time in God's Word that we should. But it's our light. And apart from it, we're just wandering around in the murky. So, we need to get back into God's Word. We need to read it. We need to study it. We need to ask questions of it. But don't just hear it, James says. <laughs> we need to do it when we know what it says. The last question comes after a statement, and that's this. Why don't we all decide today that we're going to engage or re-engage in God's Word today? And the question is, how can we help you? If that seems like a, a uh, Pascal, I just don't even know how to even get started. Can, can I help you? I'd love to be able to point you towards some resources. I, I'd love to be able to put some things in your hand that, that can help you get started, prime the pump, get you back going. God's Word is truth. That's the thing Peter wanted us to hear. Be grounded in that. Ignore all the rest of that noise. So my question is, how grounded are you in it? Will you re-engage in it today? And how can we help you get going? Amen? Let's stand together. We'll pray.